Tell me what we're looking at here. Uh, so it's a selection of pretty much everything that we've picked up over the last uh, two weeks. Um, there's probably enough to fill one and a half shipping containers worth um, just in the last two weeks. And we've got tyres ranging all sizes from bike tyres all the way up to tractor tyres, um, large tyres that probably weigh a couple hundred kilos each. Kia ora, I'm Nikki Mando and this is The Detail. It's a sunny day and I'm standing in a car park on Auckland's waterfront and looking at this huge pile of rubbish. Muscle boys, plastic, polystyrene, we're still finding every week old Coca-Cola bottles that stopped producing 30 years ago. So yeah, there's pretty much everything you can name in here. There's, there's a TV right in front of us, a keyboard, a scooter, a couch, a mattress... Rubbish that over the last two weeks has been pulled out of the harbour and local waterways by two men in a boat. The men in the boat are here too. They work for an organisation called Sea Cleaners. Henry Pratt is the skipper. We find a lot of dumping of tyres down the back of reserves into the estuaries and places like that and the main cause of that is uh, mechanics or, or tyre companies. They don't want to pay to get them disposed of at the tip because each tyre can range from cost $5 to $10 a tyre to dispose of. So we'll find a couple thousand at a time, which will take us more than a week or two weeks to get them all out. Henry Pratt's boss, Hayden Smith, has been pulling tyres and other junk out of the sea for nearly 20 years. He's got four crews working full-time and is about to get seven more around the country. And he never runs out of rubbish. But at the end of July, Associate Environment Minister Eugenie Sage announced something that might just make a difference. And that something goes under the very dull name of product stewardship. Businesses producing harmful products such as tyres, plastic packaging and electronics will soon have to start cleaning up their own trash. A new government policy aims to shift the burden of waste management from communities and councils back onto those who manufacture the products. 80% of electronics that we buy end up in landfill. This new policy, which is part of the government's $124 million waste reduction scheme, hopes to fix that. It starts by prioritising six products that businesses will have to take responsibility for. Tyres, plastic packaging, electronic waste, farm plastics, agri-chemicals and refrigerants. There's a support from uh, those wanting to deal with waste that we all have to contribute to dealing with products at the end of their Today I'm going to be looking at what product stewardship is and why people with an interest in piles of rubbish are quite excited. And I'm going to look at one waste product in particular, tyres. Yeah, you guys, who knew the inner tubes of bicycles could be absolutely so glamorous? We've got an old tyre here. What do you want to make out of this? I am going to make the coolest, most stylish ottoman. And everybody's like, there's no A new type of concrete developed at the University of Sheffield in England could improve the durability of pavements and at the same time make use of the steel fibres from recycled tyres. More of what you can do with old tyres later. But first, product stewardship. It's really about the ownership of the, the waste being put back onto the manufacturers, making sure that those manufacturers are... Uh, being good stewards with their products and making sure that they're aware of what's happening to their waste after they've produced it. And, and it, it also is reflected, I guess, upon the, the consumer as well, making sure that they have show that stewardship in their own right to make sure that they dispose of their waste correctly as well. That's Hayden Smith, the founder of Sea Cleaners. 
His team pulls about 160,000 litres of junk out of the water each month. Try and put that in perspective. That's five shipping containers full of loose litter, chip packets, lolly wrappers, drink bottles, plastic containers, downpipes, road cones, you name it, we're, we're finding it. Yeah, when you heard that announcement from the government, what did you think? Um, look, I, I think it's the fact that people are talking about waste, the fact that things are happening in this sector is, is great because... Uh, for so long we have been at the, at, down at the bottom of the cliff, tucked away in the mangroves, dealing with this waste out of sight and out of mind, and, and we've not, the issue's not visible, uh, certainly from what we're, deal, what we're dealing with. So to, to highlight waste in, in a way that's going to show uh, positive change hopefully going forward, that in itself is, is great. Different product stewardship schemes work in different ways, but there are a few common elements. Basically, it's about the responsibility for getting rid of products at the end of their life. And not just that vacuum cleaner you inherited from mum and dad 10 years ago, but all the packaging that came with the new one you bought. And we're not talking about making sure they get to landfill, but making sure they don't. That means the manufacturers stepping up. Often product stewardship involves a levy on each product or on an industry, and that money goes into a communal fund which helps deal with it at the end of its life. It's not just recovering and recycling waste. It's actually about putting in systems that maximise that utilisation. That's Rob Langford. He's chair of the Packaging Forum and runs the soft plastic scheme you've seen at supermarkets that collects food wrapping and plastic bags. That product there, prior to that scheme, was just going straight to landfill. Or shipped off to China and was effectively dumped or burnt over there. So it wasn't really fixing the problem, it was just hiding the problem. Now we're collecting that product, we're, and because we're collecting it as a clean stream, so it's not mixed with everything else, we pay to actually move that to a production facility. Um, and the biggest Tell part... You, yeah, what sort of things so, can you do with it? Um, the company that's doing it at the moment is um, the biggest one, we have two, but the biggest one is Future Post. And what they do is they use that material and other plastics, and then they essentially just melt it down and push it into a mould and create um, plastic-based um, posts. So just replacing the tantalised posts. Like fence posts? Like fence posts, yes. And so what do you... They're just for farmers, or what do you use for them farming, for? For farming, for retaining walls. You can, you can use it wherever you use a timber post. They make all just several different sizes, so... But yes, they are as good as, if not better, than a tantalised timber post. And obviously with tantalised timber, you've got the copper, the chromium, and the arsenic. So you're not putting those materials into the environment, but you're also removing a resource that would otherwise be waste into something that can be repurposed and reused going forward. So far, there are really only two main companies making stuff out of soft plastic. A Levin company called Second Life Plastics makes things like water slides, garden edging, buckets and electric cable covers. And Future Post in Wellington makes the fence posts. Piles and piles of plastic bags and packaging. This is the ugly truth behind New Zealand's household waste. When China stopped taking it, we ran out of places to send it. That's where Jerem Wenslick steps in. He's a farmer and a fencer who's come up with an idea. We're putting wooden posts into the ground and the posts were snapping. And we thought, why don't we make some posts out of the plastic that's in the ground? 
He's set up a company called Future Post, and since the start of the year, he's recycled 75 truckloads like this. How does it make you feel seeing that much plastic? Pretty good. That we're turning that into something useful instead of going into the hole. Ironically, our success was also our biggest challenge. So what, what was happening is the consumer was doing the right thing. They were bringing the plastic back, putting it in the bins, um, and we were getting significant amount of material back, in fact more than we could use to repurpose and manufacture. So that's, that's always the challenge with a, a stewardship scheme, is you need to absolutely ensure that you have the market for the product as well as the product um, capacity to, to collect it. So without balance, you'll end up with oversupply and actually just a very expensive way to collect waste. The scheme collapsed at the end of 2018. All the soft plastic bins disappeared from the supermarkets and they're only just starting to come back now. But I asked Rob Langford, isn't there a big risk with the new compulsory scheme that we're just going to get inundated with e-waste, tyres, plastic packaging that there's no use for? In the short term, yes, Langford says, but he's a big fan of mandatory schemes because they force some of the more reluctant players in the industry to get behind finding a solution. That's, that's, 100%. That's the, the, the great challenge about this is now that we as industry or industry groups have to take responsibility of that, we now have the mandate to drive the right solutions utilising all of the knowledge and intellect from industry and technical groups to come up with the right outcomes. And if we have oversupply, then we, we just have to continue to develop new and innovative schemes for them. So they're there. It's just the level of cost to do it. And because with a stewardship scheme, it's got to pay for its material, for its full life, whatever that cost is, then the incentive, well, the, the pressure goes back on industry to pay more to create the, the new and innovative solutions. New Zealand has 15 accredited product stewardship schemes already. You may well have taken your old paint back to the resines for recycling, though you may not know that a University of Auckland-tested project is working on adding that paint into the manufacture of concrete, replacing virgin materials. They're calling it paintcrete. Now, back to tyres. So my name's Adele Rose, and I'm the Chief Executive for 3R Group, and we're a company that has been... um, developing product stewardship solutions for for and with industry and their supply chain for 14 years. 3R started out working with the paint and agrochemical industries. Now they work with a variety of sectors, including tyres. We have 6.5 million tyres a year entering New Zealand. And 6.5 we, million? Yeah, and we do something with less than 3 million of them at best. Wow. So have we got like big piles of tyres everywhere? Yes. yes, we have big piles of tyres around New Zealand. Um, we've made headway over the last few years with, with some new processing capability coming online, but in no way, shape or form is it, is it addressed the problem. Do you have any idea how many, in, how many stockpiled tyres we have? Nobody knows, because the nature of stockpiled tyres is they're hidden. So they're often... So 
in the Waikato, some of them are hidden underground, you know, in, in banks, some of them are hidden in plain view within a, you know, a nice shed, but inside is piles of tyres. So the ones that are problematic, of course, are the ones where, um, the, where they're decomposing or leaching into waterways, but also the ones that are stockpiled and not close to any firefighting facilities. Tyre leachate, yep, that exists, can be a problem particularly when tyres are in water, and tyre fires are worse. Tyre pile <laughs> fires. Um, Is that particularly toxic. Yes, so um, actually we've had a couple of them in the last 12 months in um, the South Island, uh, particularly in Christchurch, and I think it was Amberley was our latest one. A fire at an illegal tyre dump in North Canterbury has provoked anger from residents who say not enough is being done to deal with the hazardous site. It's again highlighted a concerning issue right across the country, with both local communities and those in the tyre disposal industry demanding change. Billows and billows of black smoke. I didn't need to see the tyres to know that it was in fact the tyres. There's a clear and present danger to the entire community. Smoke spewing from 500 tyres burning through the night, threatening the local water supply. The blaze only narrowly avoiding spreading to hundreds of thousands more. They, they give off toxic smoke, which is a carcinogenic, and so highly polluting. Often if you get um, the, the wind in the wrong way, then the, the public have to be evacuated. How but do they the start? Is really heavy. Um, well, actually they can start by lightning, they can start by internal combustion from um, improperly stacked piles and you know just the heat build up in them over summer, discarded cigarettes, um, but arson is probably a really big one as well. People yeah. like to go and set fire to tires. Oh yes, yeah, the fires are um, spectacular, they're hot and they're dirty and they are rampant because it's a fuel source, it's a... It's actually a valuable fuel source, tyre-derived fuel. Those 3.5 million unaccounted-for tyres every year have been somewhat of a ticking time bomb for a long time now. You know, mangroves full of decomposing tyres, fires, leaching. The industry was aware it wasn't a good look. The first murmurings about a stewardship scheme came in the 1980s and the different parties, tyre manufacturers, Car importers, repair shops, recyclers, even consumer representatives like the AA finally came together. So industry um, designed the scheme in 2012, presented it to uh, um, then uh, Dr Nick Smith and then um, Amy Adams and it didn't pass for a variety of reasons. Um, then when what were we, they? Um, what we were told is that the costs benefit analysis didn't stack up. You presume you didn't agree with that? No, no, nobody agreed with it. Um, and yeah, and it had taken many years of work to actually get the whole industry on board to design something, which is what we were challenged to do. Then we, when we did it, it um, was was not accepted. Man, that would have been annoying. Oh, very annoying. It, it was it was gut wrenching because it's. I don't know of any industry that have got together to collaborate on something like this when they were poles apart. The scheme was called TireWise. Yes, so TireWise has been in existence for eight years, ready to go. Then when the coalition government um, came in, and one of the uh, um, points that they were going to um, deliver was tyre stewardship fund, and that is um, the, the outcome then is that the scheme was now back on the table, ready to pass um, declaration of tyres as priority product and then put in the piece of regulation around payment. So 
that's wow, but that is like three years. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> um, look, all good things take time. <laughs> and when will it start? But the goal is to be up and running within the 12 months in some way, shape or form. Um, but it could be earlier than that. Yeah, the 12 months from now. Yes, yes. Could it yeah. be derailed by a new government? Uh, no. Um, we have got the gazetted process. We have support from um, national and, and principle that, that, you know, that Thai stewardship is necessary and important. Um, and obviously there's support from Labour, New Zealand First and Greens and the Coalition Government. So, yeah, be fairly brave new government to turn it all back. <laughs> Basically, how it will work is there will be a $5.50 levy called an advanced disposal fee on every passenger tyre coming into New Zealand. More for bigger tyres, trucks, tractors, that sort of thing. The importer will pay that to a charitable trust. Yeah, and then the charitable trust pl- pays... It into the scheme that recycles That's right, them. based on evidence of the use. So it pays for the collection, it pays for um, the processing and the end use. But the most important thing, and this is, um, is really critical to this scheme and actually any schemes that we have with problematic waste, is the bulk of that fee is actually put into R&D and investment into infrastructure because without the infrastructure... It's not going to work. There's not no pull through, and then investing in the, um, you know, clever people that can design materials from, um, from the end of use um, is really important as well. So research. And if I can give one quick example, which I love to quote because it's quite um, incredible to me. But in Taiwan, they make wetsuits and they use the carbon black, which is a, deri- uh, a derivative of tyres. Um, in the manufacture of those wetsuits, then those wetsuits are sold for hundreds to thousands of dollars. So if you can think of a tyre um, that is currently covered in mud and pulled out of a swamp um, to something that is a high-end, high-value product, that is actually where New Zealand needs to be. And that's where the scheme, Taiwai scheme, wants to be as well. It wants to really incentivise that high-value employment in New Zealand, local economy, um, yeah, so it's really important that so could the we waiting. make wetsuits out of tyres? No. There's no reason why we couldn't. But Just need somebody to do it. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. And, and um, there's a um, University of Waikato, which is um, putting together a circular economy um, research programme, uh, which um, I'm part of as well. And that is going to have a 40-plus um, you know, PhD students coming through there who are specifically going to be helping us build things like that across all problematic waste streams. But those are the clever brains and the, the clever brains of those people who've um, you know, worked operationally. I, I think in 10 years' time, just watch the space. In the meantime, about half of all our tyres will provide the heat to replace coal at Fletcher's Golden Bay cement plant outside of Whangarei. But Adele Rose sees that as a stopgap measure. She tells me about a concept called linear landfill. You've kind of got landfill where something's put in, it's gone forever. But if you then take a product and use it for heat energy, then that is also gone forever. But you've just used it one more time to create energy. The idea, and this is in a perfect world and plus 10, 15 years from where we are today, that you wouldn't be doing that, that you're keeping that resource in forever use. Before we can achieve that lofty goal, 
Sea cleaner Ryan Stanya would just like to see the tyres gone. The rubber from these tyres does uh, leak chemicals into our ocean and, you know, that's not our our place to be polluting. You know, there's wildlife in there, there's uh, marine animals and they didn't use tyres. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have them on their car and then chuck them down the river so they don't deserve to be in there. That's it for today. I'm Nikki Mando. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Adele Rose, Rob Langford and the three men in a boat, Hayden Smith, Henry Pratt and Ryan Stanya. Kakite Arnor. Anor.